Well, good afternoon to you all, and uh, great to be here to come and teach here at the 2.30 service, and uh, following on from Gabriel Chan, who last week kicked us off in our, our new topic uh, for this month, which is prayer that gets results. And he was speaking from the book of James, the scripture that says, you have not because you ask not. In other words, if nothing ever goes up, nothing ever comes down. And so he kicked us off last week. And this week we're looking at the topic, only prayer from the heart gets results. And you know, our, our hope after this series is that every one of us will grow in our prayer life. Amen? That we will be that much more effective in our prayers. How many of you want to see results in prayers? The rest of you are lying. No. <laughs> How many of you need to see results in prayers? Amen. And that's only right, of course, that, that we pray to see results. Here at KT, we don't just want to pray, we want to see results. Amen. And so throughout the Bible, there are hundreds of prayers that are recorded in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, in fact, one source said there's about 650 different prayers in the Bible. And each of them adds to our understanding of what prayer is and, of course, how God answers prayers. There are prayers in the Psalms. There are the apostolic prayers. There are the prayers of Jesus. Uh, there are the, the prophetic prayers, the, the prayers of the prophets. And the Bible is, is very much our prayer book. We can learn so many lessons about how they prayed. It teaches us how to pray. In the Scriptures, there are allowed prayers. There are silent prayers. There are travailing prayers. One person said this, it's a good thing about praying loud is that you know when you've stopped. Just let that settle instead of falling asleep. But prayer is a major theme, major theme. In the Bible. In fact, Jesus in the Gospels taught more about prayer than any other topic other than the kingdom of God. And so Jesus himself was a man of prayer. In fact, in almost every chapter of the Gospel of Luke, it shows Jesus praying. That's a lot, isn't it? Luke's Gospel very much shows that Jesus was a man of prayer. And we've got this unique statement that's given in Luke 3. This unique statement about Jesus, and it says this, that as Jesus was praying, the heavens opened. As Jesus was praying, the heavens opened. We might say that that actually is what encapsulated his ministry. That whenever Jesus prayed, the heavens opened. Wherever he prayed, the heavens opened. And if we were exploring you know, today about how to pray and what to pray, we might focus on the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 5. We might look at Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, looking at the method of how Jesus taught us to pray. But today, we're not looking so much at the how-to or what, or the methodology of prayer. We're looking at something a little bit deeper than that. We're looking at only prayer from the heart gets results. I wonder if some of you have ever pondered to yourself and asked the question, why does God answer any of our prayers? 
Why does God not answer some of our prayers? Why should God, who is the, the God of the universe, who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, he's the God of the nations, why should he pay attention to our prayers? One thing, of, of course, for sure is that we all want results in prayer. We all want our prayers to be answered. In fact, this is a, a universal fact. Now, other religions would subscribe to that same thing. Other religions that have different beliefs would say that, you know, that they want results in prayer. For example, Jews. Jews will eat different foods. Jews will wear different clothes and they will follow a different calendar year. Why? To get results in prayer. Muslims will fast through Ramadan. They will take long and costly journeys to Mecca. They will pray five times a day. Why? To get results in prayer. Buddhists will do the prayer wheel thing and they will meditate and they will do this nirvana thing. I don't know much about it. Other uh, religions, Hindus will, will walk naked even and then wash in the Ganges River to become clean in body and spirit. Any takers? No? Okay. And even when you look historically at the church, some have gone to extreme levels to get their prayers answered, to get results many of them practicing sacrificial lifestyles. Now in the Gospels, when Jesus came onto the scene, he was clearly passionate about the whole topic of prayer. Not only, of course, did he model it, but he sought to make prayer the highest priority. And of course, Jesus' thoughts on this have never changed. Jesus still thinks that that prayer should be of the highest priority in our life. There's a story, in fact, that shows this when he went to the temple. He went to the temple, the temple of prayer, and he saw all these guys that were doing business and they were selling and doing trading. And what happens next, of course, is shocking. Jesus goes away. He gets a whip, makes himself a whip. I mean, this is all premeditated. Goes away, gets a whip. He comes back, he gets through the door of the temple, marches through, kicks down the tables and drives them all out of the temple. And then he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. Bible says that zeal for his father's house consumed him. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. I mean, how angry does someone need to be to drive out everybody from a temple? This was Jesus' emphasis on prayer. But you see, more than that, Jesus had seen, when he came, he had seen how prayers and even fasting had just become traditions. In other words, they had become void of passion. There was no authenticity to the prayers anymore. People weren't praying from their heart. They were praying from their heads. And there were these wonderful displays of temple prayer. And so when Jesus came, he was coming, of course, to restore the house of prayer, to correct the way that people pray, the way that we approach God in prayer. But ultimately, Jesus came to teach us that the way to get God's attention, the prayer that God esteems is the prayer that comes from the heart. If we want to get God's attention, God takes a careful consideration of our hearts. The secret to successful praying is praying from our hearts. 
In other words, what moves God, what causes him to, to act, what stirs him is when we come to him wholeheartedly with our prayers. How many believe that? Amen. In Jesus' day, that the heart was a picture of the human personality. Both the same in the Old Testament, the center of a person's being. So the heart includes all that makes our inner life. That's our mind, that's our will, that's our emotions, that's our, our conscience and so forth. And the word heart comes up uh, over 800 times in the Bible. How many know that's a lot? And a lot of these are in the context of the heart of man. Over 800 times. So God places huge value, huge significance, huge importance on the heart. 1 Kings 8. You maybe want to write it down. We don't have to go there. But 1 Kings 8, 39 says this. For you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. Another scripture in Chronicles says that God looks to and fro the face of the earth for what? For hearts that are committed to him. That's what God is looking for. God knows our hearts. Every one of us in, the, in, in this room, no matter what our background or journey, God knows every one of us. And that means that he's not interested in the half-hearted prayer. He's not interested in just the prayer that sounds good or sounds intellectual, sounds good for the hearers. He's not after a half-hearted prayer. God is the one who looks into our heart. In other words, he knows what's real and he knows what's authentic. He knows what comes from here and that which comes from here. One person said this, that when God measures us, he puts a tape measure around the heart rather than the head. So God looks at the heart of a person. That's what he measures. Underneath all the words, underneath all the exterior that we sometimes give, God's after wholeheartedness. He sees all of our actions, all of our thoughts. He, he sees us for who we really are. He is everywhere. He knows our hearts. Other people may not know who you truly are in your heart, but he knows it all. Amen? Everything that we think, everything that we say, that we do, that we even imagine is under the all-seeing eye of God. He sees everything. He knows everything. What does that mean? There's nothing that we can do to escape his eye. His observation. And this is the amazing truth that the psalmist David got a hold of in Psalm 139. Maybe well, you don't have to go there now, but maybe look at it another time. Psalm 139. David said, where shall I flee from your presence? I can't get away from you. Where will I flee from your spirit? Wherever I go, you are there. God knows all about us. He knows the thoughts. He knows the intentions. He knows the motives of our heart. In fact, the book of James uh, emphasizes about the motives that we have in prayer. God knows every motive that we have. Nothing's hidden from him. And it's quite a thought, isn't it, when you think about it, that our lives are constantly 24-7 under the all-seeing eye of God. How many know that's pretty powerful? He's watching us all the time. And today, this afternoon, I want to briefly talk to you about three key areas that are going to help us discover what a right heart is. How many are up for that? Three key areas that are going to help us get God's attention. Every one of us wants results in prayer, right? But we need to know the things that stir his heart to act, that stir him to respond to us. And we're going to look at three words beginning with H. 
Three words beginning with H. Very seldom do I ever do a a three-point sermon or a three-point teaching. So here it goes. Um, My my son, uh, Seth, who's my youngest, um, is at nursery, and their their letter of the week was H. So I was thinking about the the letter H all week. (laughs) So I thought, what kind of words could we come up with with the beginning with the letter H? And so we're looking at the letter H. The first word we're focusing on is the prayer of humility. Humility. Turn with me to Matthew 6, 5 to 6. Matthew 6, verses 5 to 6. And it says this. And when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus here is highlighting the right way to pray. And the wrong way to pray. Jesus, of course, is showing us how to get results in prayer. And quite clearly, there were people back in those times that were actually not praying the right way. That's why, of course, he had to say it. And here Jesus, quite graphically, goes to explain what the wrong way of praying looks like. He said this. Look at the verses. He said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love. Listen to those words. For they love... Standing in the synagogues and in the corner streets that they may be seen by men. That means that they stand in a prominent place, a prominent position. You might remember the parable that Jesus taught in the Gospels of the Pharisee and the publican who went to the temple to pray. And he tells of the Pharisee who stood as far forward as he could. As he could in the most prominent place, and there he prayed, and we won't go into his prayer that he prayed, but it was a self-righteous prayer of pretty much, you know, I'm glad I'm not like that person, I'm not like that person and this person. It was a very self-righteous prayer. The publican, on the other hand, was so ashamed and so full of humility that standing afar off, he could not even lift up his face to heaven, but just cried out, Lord, be merciful to me a sinner. You see the difference? Jesus said that the Pharisees, they just stand in the synagogues to be seen by men. He said that they have received their reward in full. They got their result. The praise of man is what they wanted and that's all they got. The man out on the street corner wants to give the impression that he's some devout person, that he can't wait to get to the temple courts But he is someone who is interested in himself. The danger today in in our generation, in our time, is to be too preoccupied with ourselves. To be too preoccupied with our reputation. To go after the praise of man rather than the praise of God. See, these Pharisees, they were going out of their way to try and impress people. To try and impress others. Rather 
than get the attention of God. In fact, when it came to praying and even fasting, Jesus said again, he said, don't be like the hypocrites. The Pharisees were actually not washing their faces. I mean, how disgusting is that? Everybody wash their faces? Good. They were not actually washing their faces. They were actually putting ashes on their head. So they could actually look miserable. So they could actually look unhappy. They went out of the way to be seen by people. And so everyone, of course, was saying, wow, look at how spiritual they are. Look at their sacrificial lifestyle. Look at their devotion to God. But Jesus says, he comes along and he condemns it. He says, ah, they've received their reward. They got their result. They got man's attention, but they didn't get God's. Jesus was dealing, of course, with a heart issue. You might have heard of of the story of the pastor who was awarded a badge by his leadership team for being the most humble person in the congregation. And he was so happy, of course, to receive this this badge and uh, was really rejoicing about it at home. And then when Sunday came along, he decided to wear this badge to church. And when the leadership team saw that he had worn it on his shirt, they decided to take it off him. (laughs) But you see, the Pharisees in the Gospels were more interested in their egos than they were their relationship with God. This is when we really look at the heart of it all. And see, today we, we live in a world that admires and says, you know, it's about your appearance. It's about your reputation. It's about you looking good. It's about you sounding good. It's about, you know, being self-confident, being self-assured, being certain of yourselves, knowing it at all. And God knows in the heart of man that we are more, we gravitate more to the praise of man than we do the praise of God. That man is more interested in the opinion of himself than he is about the opinion of God. But Jesus here is teaching that our aim is real Authentic disciples. Who wants to be a real authentic disciple? He says that the, that the secret here must not be us pleasing ourselves, but to please God. That's our objective. Jesus said, make sure you don't do your righteousness before men. Why? Because you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. God rewards the right heart in prayer. It's the prayer of humility. We even see this in Jesus himself. He modeled this. He never thought of himself. There was no self in Jesus. There was a complete absence of self. He wasn't trying to make himself look good during those three years of of ministry life. And the disciples, of course, saw that. In fact, Jesus was known for saying, you know, when they saw everything that he was doing, he said, that the things that I say and do, they don't come from me. They come from the Father. God rewards the heart of humility. And so Jesus summed up the Pharisees. In Matthew 15, verse 8, when he said this, They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, they say all the right things. They do all the right things. They say all these wonderful long prayers. They maybe sing all the most wonderful songs, but their hearts are far from me. And so what's the challenge to us as we look at this first aspect of humility. The question to us is, what audience are we living for? Whose applause are we actually after? Whose reward are we going after in our life? 
Because if we're too caught up in the, in the human appreciation and human stuff, then the Bible's clear that we will receive nothing from God. The Bible says God opposes the proud, but He gives grace. Amen? To the humble. God is after a heart of humility. The prayer that gets His attention, the one that He esteems is the man or woman of humility. That's not self-seeking. Humility is that absence of pride. It's that prayer that is absent of self. God is ready to answer the prayer of humility. So that's the first one. God is after humility. The second one that God is after is a right heart, which is the prayer of hunger. God is after looking and looking throughout the earth for the prayer of hunger. In Luke 11, we see the, the disciples asking Jesus a question. They said, teach us to pray. And I find this really fascinating because of the journey that the disciples went on. And what follows, of course, is that Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer. And that, of course, gives us a framework for all of our praying, the way we pray today. But see, by this time... The disciples had actually been with Jesus for quite a considerable amount of time. They'd actually been watching him at work. They are the ones that had preached. They had healed the sick. They had seen people delivered. They'd seen demons submit. From childhood for these disciples, as was custom, they were brought up in the synagogues and the temples to learn how to pray. That was Jewish custom. In other words, they were not new to the world of prayer. None of these disciples, they knew about John the Baptist's teaching, that John the Baptist was someone who, who taught people to pray, to taught people how to fast. But the disciples had even been with Jesus when he prayed. But what I find fascinating is that they still felt that they had to ask him, teach us to pray. Notice that they didn't ask him, teach us to preach. They didn't ask him, teach us how to do the big miracles, Jesus, that you're doing, or teach us how to, 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 to see demons delivered and all these things. They said, teach us to pray. I mean, imagine it was you and you had one thing that you wanted to ask Jesus. What would it be? They said, teach us to pray. And that leads us to, to believe something that there was something about Jesus' prayer life that impressed them enough to get them to ask the question, teach us to pray. And here I wrote down a few thoughts that I thought might have got their attention. First thing that they saw was the frequency. They saw Jesus' frequency of his prayer life. In other words, they saw how he would rise before dawn. He would go up the mountains to pray. Sometimes he would be all nights in prayer. And he'd be seeking God. And I bet inside of themselves, who were probably saying to themselves, what enables him to keep going for so long? What is it that leads to this amazing abandonment? What, you know, they were probably saying to themselves, I find after a few minutes that I get bored and I run out of words to say. And so firstly, they were amazed by the frequency of Jesus' prayer life. Next, they were probably impressed by the intensity. Hebrews 5.7 gives us a clue. It says, During Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. In other words, Jesus knew what it was like to pour out his heart in prayer. And so they saw the frequency, they, they saw the intensity, and third, of course, they saw the results of his prayers. How did they see that? Well, they saw the healings. They saw the, the wonderful encounters. They saw how people, people's lives were being changed. 
And so they saw frequency, they saw the intensity, and they saw the results. And so when they asked Jesus, teach us to pray, what they were really saying was, teach us to pray like you pray. Teach us how to be intimate with God. They wished to know the Father as Jesus knew him. In other words, they were hungry. The disciples were hungry. If you want to see results in prayer, there must be something within you that desires God. Amen? There must be something in you that is hungry for His presence. Because every one of us, of course, could could know many different things about God. We can be even interested in theological things and Christian topics. and, And of course, many of us are. And we can be interested in church ministry, serving and and, and of course, you know, going to services, but there's, there's something within you that says, I want to go deeper with God. Is there something inside of you that cries out to go deeper with the Lord? See, often when we think, you know, and when you look at the title of the series, we, we think, you know, reaping the results of prayer. And we automatically maybe think, yeah, autom- you know, we're, we're reaping that result. We want to get that car. Amen. Oh, yes. Maybe I'm the only one. Or you want that house, or you want that promotion, or you want that job. And we automatically think of those things. But how about 2014 being a year where you encounter God like you've never encountered Him before? How about 2014 being a breakthrough year in in your personal life in prayer? About you growing in the Word like you've never grown in the Word before? About you being hungry for the presence of God like you've never done before? Because surely that's the results of prayer. Encountering Him when we are hungry for Him. Drawing near to God. Experiencing His presence more. Results is not just about getting things. It's about God doing a work in our heart. Amen? It's about God making us bigger on the inside. So we can actually be the results of our prayers in our generation. In prayer, God changes us. In prayer, God is actually changing our inward character. And so in the midst of our busy life, and every one of us leads a a busy life and a busy schedule with all the responsibilities that we have, has it clouded out our time with the Lord? Have our hearts sort of become so accustomed to the, the busy way of life that there's no room for God anymore? Have our hearts become divided because of the affections of other things? Because we live in an age of interruptions and distractions. And there are things of the world that are fighting for your affections every day. But the desire of the Godhead is to bring us near to Himself. Amen? Ephesians 2.13 God desires to bring the created, that's us, into communion and fellowship with Him. One Puritan said this, The heart alone sees God, and God alone sees the heart. The heart alone sees God, God alone sees the heart. And perhaps you're here today and there's that dissatisfaction in your spiritual life. But see, the disciples may have been dissatisfied, but they were hungry. 
to experience God, not to just treat God as some slot machine to get quick answers or to, you know, to... Uh, use him as a last resort. They were hungry to experience God. You remember the, the disciples, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? God is after a hungry heart. Another word for hunger is desire. Without desire, prayer is just empty words. There's no emotion. There's no feeling. There's no heart. The deeper the desire, the stronger the prayer. Hunger or, or desire brings with it this, you know, this sense of need. In other words, in the natural, when we're hungry, we request food. Amen? But in the spiritual, when you're hungry and when you desire, there's a longing for something that you need. Without desire, there's no urgency in our prayers. And so one of the ways that maybe you can measure whether you're a true disciple or on the, the journey of discipleship is if you have a desire to be intimate with God. You have a desire to, to go deeper with God, to walk with Him, to talk with Him. Is there something within you that desires more of Him? Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? That's why we sing songs like that here at Kensington Temple. Are we hungry and thirsty for Him? God is looking to and fro the face of the earth. He's looking over London for a hungry heart. For a thirsty heart. So the first thing God looks for is what? Humility. The second thing he's looking for is? He's looking for hunger or desire. And the third thing we're going to look at now is God is after a heart of holiness. God is after a heart of holiness. He's after a righteous prayer. There are a whole load of scriptures that underline the importance of, of holiness. Well, let me say a few here. Psalm 24, how about this one? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, he shall ascend the hill of the Lord. He shall receive blessing from the Lord. What are the results toward purity of heart? God's blessing. God's favor, God's rewards, God's open heaven. Matthew 5, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, they shall see God. What does that mean? This means that the pure in heart will have more of a capacity to see and experience God. The Bible says that we are to cleanse ourselves from all sins of the flesh, perfecting holiness unto the Lord. The psalmist David said this, he said, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have heard me. Now, it's really important that we, we understand that it's not our own holiness, of course, that enables us to get rewards and results in our prayers. But God is pleased with a holy heart. God is pleased with a, a holy lifestyle. And for this, we're going to jump over quickly to Zechariah 3. Come with me to Zechariah 3, verses 1 to 5. Staying in the theme of prayer. Zechariah 3, verses 1 to 5. Vision of the high priest. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? 
Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let him put a clean turban on his head. So he put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. This scripture, maybe you've not looked at it like this before, but this scripture gives us a glimpse of what is going on in heaven every day. And in this story, we we read that Joshua, the high priest here, is standing in the courtroom of heaven. God's on the throne. And Joshua is coming before God to pray and to get his prayers answered. But the Bible says that on his right hand side is Satan, the accuser, who's opposing him. Or in other words, shouting him down. And then there is an angel on the other side. So you have the angel of the Lord on one side and you have Satan on the other side, on two opposite sides. And the Bible says that on one side, Satan was opposing him, resisting him. In other words, he was accusing him and shouting him down. I want you to imagine this picture as we look at this part of holiness. Satan is saying, look at his filthy garments. Look at him standing in the presence of God. You can't answer his prayer. He's not worthy of healing or or, or blessing or any kind of reward. He's unclean in the presence of a holy God. And this is sometimes in reality what some of us go through. When we're coming before the throne room of God, we feel deflated. We feel defeated. Why? Because somehow we allowed the flesh to get in the way. To have its way with you. Maybe you lost control. Maybe you said some things that you shouldn't say and you lost, you know, the the, the ability to tame your tongue. Joshua had come before God many times as a high priest. And there's no record, of course, that the devil ever followed him in. Maybe the reason the devil followed him in this time is because he had unclean garments. And the point is this, from this story, we must understand how important it is to keep clean garments. Amen? If we don't, we allow the filth of the world to dirty our our garments. And what happens is it hinders our prayer life. You may say, well, how does it hinder? The way it hinders is you you allow Satan a foothold in your life. You allow him to come and attack you and to resist you and to oppose you. The Bible says that he is the accuser of their brethren. The accuser of the brethren. He loves to throw insults at you. He loves to oppose you and say, you good for nothing, so and so. You're not worthy in the presence of God, in the presence of a holy God. And so you, you see, as long as we harbor filth in our, in our lives, the devil has an access point. And he will come in and he'll, he'll oppose you, he'll intimidate you, he'll make you afraid. And what happens is it hinders our boldness in prayer. Everybody know what I'm talking about. And it makes us feel defeated, not worthy. It makes us feel disqualified. You don't have that spring in in your step anymore. But you see, there's something about holy living that produces a holy boldness in prayer. 
which brings results in prayer. When you can walk into the courtroom of heaven boldly. Amen. When your conscience doesn't condemn you. When you have a clean conscience and devils can't shout you down. Where you can say to the devil that you have no hold on me. You've got nothing on me. You can boldly come into the courtroom of heaven and pray to God with a clean heart. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a, as a lion. As a lion. The prayer of the righteous man availeth much. What does this mean? Powerful prayer flows from the heart of the righteous. If you want to see results in prayer, it must come from a boldness in prayer that comes from living a clean life. The Bible says this, that there is no condemnation for him that is in Christ Jesus. And many of us, of course, are familiar with that, that prayer. Amen? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we, we should probably emphasize the rest of the verse. Who walked not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you want to have answers in prayer, it means you need to be living in the Spirit. If you want to be free from condemnation and guilt, avoid the flesh. We need to be, lead, be led by the Holy Spirit in our life. And I love this story in Zechariah 3 because what's so wonderful is that as Satan was shouting him down and opposing him and saying, goodness knows what to him, God steps up. He steps in. And the Lord says, I've heard, in other words, I've heard enough of this, Satan. He says, the Lord rebuke you. God muzzles his mouth. God silences him. God gives Joshua clean garments in exchange for the unclean garments. In other words, God covers him. God is gracious. I love the scripture. 1 John tells us that we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus, the Son of God, our great high priest, who is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does he do? He pleads our case before the Father. God is all about giving us a, a clean heart. God is all about giving us a renewed heart. Amen? A heart that pleases Him. And I'm going to ask the, Peter to come. That would be great. God is about giving us a clean heart. He relates to people at a heart level. He doesn't operate up here. He operates here. He communicates to us on a heart level. The question I want to ask you today is, what's the state of your heart? What's the condition of your heart this afternoon? Because no doubt there is a battle going on for your heart. There's a battle going on for the church. God is after the heart of His people, the heart of His church. But there are battle, there's a battle going on for our affections. Other things are trying to get our affections. Scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things. Man's heart is desperately wicked. Man's heart is always at the seat of all of his troubles. Out of the heart, the Bible says, proceed evil thoughts, murder, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Hearts can grow hard because of sin. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's resentment. And you've been holding on for it for years. And as long as we harbor these things in our life, it hinders our prayer life. I believe it was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who spoke of the heart as a garden. It's a garden that needs weeding 
and feeding. <laughs> it needs watering. What do we need to weed it with? We need to weed out the stuff that poisons our hearts. And we need to water it with what? The Holy Spirit. We need to feed it with the, with the Word of God. The heart's a garden. There are three main areas that I want to encourage you to consider this afternoon. First one is humility. Second one is hunger. The third, holiness. God is looking into our hearts. What does He see? Just in these next couple of minutes, I want to give you an opportunity just to allow God to show us anything in our heart that is not in alignment with His heart. Just for a moment, just for one, two minutes, allow God by the Holy Spirit just to come and speak to you. It might be areas of, you know, you may have not seen them before. There may be areas that you know that are not right in your heart. Maybe it's that pride that's always coming up. Maybe it's that, you know, you haven't got it, you're not hungry anymore. Something happened and you got taken off the path. Maybe you're holding on to something that you need to let go of today. Just in the next minute, let's allow God now just to come and search our hearts and to show us anything. this afternoon we invite you to come and do a work of change in us we ask you you come and cleanse our hearts we ask you today you come and do a work of renewal and revival in our hearts where we've lost a passion would you renew it today where our hearts have been misaligned. Lord, bring us back in alignment with your heart. You said to David that he was a man after your own heart. We pray do that within us today. Make us men and women who are after your heart. So we welcome you to come and do a work of change. You are the potter, we're the clay. Come and mold us and shape us, Lord, we pray. We welcome you to come and do a work of change on us. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, for what you are committed to do within us. 
Lord, we pray that you would train us to protect our heart from the things of the world, the things that seek to infiltrate other affections. Help us to guard our heart. We pray this in your name. Lord, as we go from here, Lord, as we sow ourselves in the ministry of prayer, as we give ourselves, as we sow, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ that we shall reap the wonderful benefits, Lord, of your blessing, of your favor, and of your open heaven. In your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.